you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 this morning, we're going to take a break from uh, the book of Psalms. We're going to spend today and next Sunday with some Christmas passages. The birth of Christ, and I'm excited about that. I hope you are. Uh, it, it, it never gets old year after year reading these passages. Uh, they're so true and they're so fitting to everything that, um, that, that we see in the holiday uh, with the, the coming of Christ and it being from God's Word. Also, because of the, the children's program this morning, we're not going to do a testimony, a Philippians 1-6 testimony today. I know y'all like those, but we're going to take a break from that. I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 1. Look at verses 18 through 25, and I want to talk about God's Christmas mission. That's what it says in your bulletin. God's Christmas mission. And I want you to understand that what the Christmas season and Christmas holiday is all about is about God coming to us. The Bible teaches us that from the very beginning it was God's plan to redeem His people so that they would worship Him. God wants us to be worshipers of God. And so, because we are sinful, God is on a mission to bring that about. And Christ coming to earth was part of the plan that Christ would live and then die. Christ dying is a part of the plan. Christ coming back to life is a part of the plan. And even right now, it's a part of God's plan. God is on a mission. We see this real clearly, specifically at Christmas time, though, because it is described so well, tying into the Old Testament, carrying over into the New Testament. It looks like, when you read the Bible, that God was on a mission. And to help you a little bit, you know what it means to be on a mission, right? To have your focus set on something, and you're doing everything you can to be about this, and you're working toward that end. You know that. I'm sure that right now some of you all have a Christmas present that you're looking for. You've already been to a couple stores and they're sold out and you feel like I'm on a mission for this. A couple years ago, Val and I were trying to find a superhero like castle for the boys for Christmas and we had been everywhere and we had been around to uh, all of the different malls and we were looking for it and we'd been to all these different places and we never could find it and we were calling our families in North Carolina for them to check out Toys R Us in North Carolina to see if they had the present there. You know, all of that sort of thing. And then we were home, and I think we were in bed already, and it was Christmas hours, and Toys R Us didn't close until midnight or something like that, and we were in bed, and Val's looking on her phone, and she pops up and says, they just had a restock. <laughs> they just had a restock. They got this item in at Toys R Us. I'm like, well, we're already in bed, too. You know, I don't know if we can make it. We got to, Josh. It's our last chance. I just had a restock there. And I don't remember if it was me or her that had to get up and get to the store. Probably was me. But we got up and we went to Toys R Us trying to make it there before midnight and we found the present. Kids don't know anything about that. You know, they just get the present. But there is a real sense in where we feel like, man, we were, we were on a mission to get that thing. We know what it is when we talk about being on a mission. We have our eyes set on something and we, we have to get it done. You know, that, that's our goal. And I want you to see at Christmas time that Jesus coming to us shows how great the love of God is and how committed God is to working in our lives. How serious our sin is that it would cost God leaving heaven, come to earth and dying for our sins. Christmas is about God being on mission to get glory 
and God being on mission to get glory through us. Read with me, if you will, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus. God's Christmas mission. I want to give you three points today. The first is mission predicted. The second is mission performed. And the third is mission perfected or mission accomplished. Mission predicted, mission performed, and mission perfected. One of the things that is so deep and heartfelt for Christian people at Christmas is that this holiday, which is so important to us, many of y'all would say that this is your favorite time of the year. There's a song that says it's the most wonderful time of the year. But what is so meaningful to Christians right now is that we see this as the plan of God. We know this from God's Word telling us that this is coming from long ago. The very holiday that we're celebrating right now, Christmas, was predicted. God had been telling us about this holiday for years and years and years. The prophets of old had been speaking of this. You see it here quoted in verse 23 where Matthew is quoting from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The idea of God with us, Emmanuel, is not new to Christmas. They were talking about a God who dwells with His people back in the prophets' times, in Isaiah's times. This idea of God coming to His people to live among them, right? The John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word, whether we understood it or not, is another thing. But God talking about Jesus coming had been predicted long ago. Isaiah chapter 7 is quoted in Matthew. Matthew writing this remembered that that's what was going to happen. A virgin would have a baby. And his name would be called by people Emmanuel, 
God with us. When that virgin has the baby, when that baby gets here, we are to recognize it as God being among us. We are to recognize it as this human is God. God is a human. And this was predicted. But if you go back to verse 18, look how Matthew is writing in verse 18. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, Matthew is writing after the fact. Matthew's writing after the whole fact. Matthew is writing after the, birth, the baby had been born, the baby had lived, the baby had died on a cross, the baby had ascended up into heaven. Jesus, he's writing after all of that. Yet, he's writing it so that you and I would believe. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Hey, here's how it happened. Here's how it went down. He wants us to know. And when he says, I want you to know the story of Jesus, I want you to know what Christmas is all about, I want you to understand the nativity, I want you to understand the incarnation, which is Jesus becoming a man, I want you to understand those things, Matthew was able to say, here's how it went down. Matthew is a witness to this. Matthew is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Matthew is also telling us what Isaiah had already told us. This was predicted. The coming of God to us to die was planned. It was predicted. Matthew, you might say, is able to say it took place in this way because Isaiah had already told us it's going to take place in this way. One of the things that we are doing in our midweek Bible study, we have a Bible study on Wednesday mornings for men at 10.30 and a Bible study on, on Thursday mornings for ladies at 10 o'clock. Uh, anybody's welcome to come. And we are walking through the book of Isaiah. And one of the things that we are seeing walking through Isaiah, we're all the way toward the end now, is that the, I, the book of Isaiah is filled with reference to the New Testament. Or the New Testament is full of the book of Isaiah. And when we started this study, many of us thought, I can't really name anything from Isaiah that I know that's in the New Testament. But now that we've been reading it in week after week after week after week, it's like every week we see something else that's in the New Testament. Because the Word of God is God's truth revealed to us about His plan to save us. I want you to see how you fit into God's Christmas mission. I want you to believe that your sins are forgiven because Christ came to die for your sins. I want your whole life to be centered on that. I want you to embrace it. Look what it says here. It says that it took place in this way. Then it describes Mary and Joseph. And then it says that the baby in her was from the Holy Spirit. Again, I want you to see that what is happening here is what God is going to do. Keep going. Then it says in verse 20 that an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and tells him what is happening. Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Why was all this happening? It was happening because God had said, this is what's going to happen. And when God tells us that something's going to happen, 
it's going to happen. And when Jesus came and was born that day in a manger, for many, it was a shock. How could this be? Who is this? What is this? But for God... And for those who had believed the Old Testament promises, they were not shocked. This is what God said He would do. This is all a part of the plan. It was predicted. The Christmas story is God's plan. I loved that scene as the kids were up here. I think it was the first scene... You have Mary and Joseph walking over here. They had gone to be registered. And they get to what I'm assuming was the inn right here. And the innkeeper, standing on a chair so y'all could see him, does like this. Which meant what? There's no room in the inn. And so they had to go somewhere else. And you and I know that as central to the story, right? He was born in a manger. He was humble. He was lowly. He was a son of God. Nobody had room for him. And a lot of people, listen, don't get that. A lot of people want Jesus to be something that He's not. Do you know what the Bible tells us, especially in the Old Testament? That He was humble and lowly. That He was a servant. That He was a suffering servant. That this baby that we love at Christmas time grew up And when he grew up, he was nothing special from worldly standards. Nobody confused him for a royal king. Nobody mistook, nobody thought that he was rich and wealthy. Nobody thought that he was good looking. He was God on the mission to save us. The Bible tells us that this is predicted. Matthew tells us here it took place in this way. Isaiah told us there, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. Isaiah told us that. The angel of God is here telling Joseph this is what's going to happen. Do you see what I'm saying? This is God's plan. It was God's mission. And He's telling it, He's telling it, and He's telling it. Are we going to be people who are believing it? The mission was predicted. Secondly, though, the mission was performed. It was played out, lived out through people. This is fascinating. We could go on and on and on on this point, but let's look at it. It says the birth of Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. 
I wonder why it went down that way. You've got a man and a woman who are all but completely married. Betrothal is something that we don't have in the USA. We, we, we say that we're engaged, but that's not nearly the same thing. You, can't get, you can get out of an engagement just any day. You say, I'm done. Sometimes the girl keeps the ring, sometimes she doesn't. You know, that's different. But in a betrothal, it's like you're married. Everything is married in a betrothal except for the consummation. He had not known her yet, which means they had not been in bed together. They had not seen each other naked. They had not had sex. This was not completely finished. But it was a betrothal. And it was serious. And the only way they could get out of it was through a formal divorce. And that's the setting. Imagine. It didn't have to be that way, but it did. You know, Jesus has a mom... He came through Mary, came through her womb, but he doesn't have a dad. She got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This is what God is telling us. But in verse 19, Joseph is upset about this. Rightly so, right? If your wife comes home pregnant and you didn't get her pregnant, you would be bothered by it too. We should be bothered by any sex that's not between a husband and wife. That's not a Christmas message, but it's one that you need to hear. You should be bothered by any and all that's not between a husband and wife. And I know that it's not real common for people to talk that out loud these days. But we need to hear it. And we need to hate it. So that was Joseph, verse 19. And he didn't want to embarrass her. He didn't want to shame her. He wanted to go about this in a good way. And so he resolved to divorce her quietly. In another message, you could preach how Joseph was a good man, wanting to honor his wife even though he thought she had dishonored him. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, so now he's thinking through it. We might assume that he was praying about what he should do. Behold, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and tells him the situation. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Hey, Joseph, I know it seems to be a bad thing to you, but listen, it really is a good thing. It's a great thing. You might say it's the best thing ever. Joseph, I want you to hear it. It's from God. God did this to her. She she hasn't been with a man. She is still a virgin. God has made her pregnant. And so, guess what? She's going to have a son. You're going to be the son's dad. and, And you will name him Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus means Savior. And that is who he is. This baby that you thought was a problem and had come about from a sinful situation is actually just what God wanted. This is God coming to us. You see what I mean by mission performed? God is making the salvation of sinners happen through Jesus coming. And He's doing it through Mary, and He's doing it through Joseph, and He's doing it through an angel, and now He's doing it through Jesus becoming a man. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes to the church, But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin. Right on time. Right where God would have it. As history moves forward, not only in our lives today, but past history, even through Bible times, as the Old Testament proceeds into the New Testament, the very lives of Matthew, the writer here, Mary and Joseph, are the unfolding of God's plan to save His people. When you and I as believers read this passage in Matthew chapter 1, our hearts are excited to think this is what Christmas is, and our hearts are excited to think this is how I get right with God. He came for me. He came to save me from my sins. We need to realize that all of history and therefore all of our lives are God working on His plan to get glory. Yet we will continue to struggle or we will continue to struggle as long as we continue to think that life is about us. And there is so much of a tendency for us to think life's about us. And you know what happens? For many Christians, life begins to be, how do I take my life with who I am and what I do and what I feel and the way I think and who I interact with and all that, and how do I now bring God into it? Because I think I need a little bit of God in my life. You hear people talk that way, right? And we have tried to kind of morph Christianity into, well, here's me and here's who I am how can I bring God into it? Because I, I kind of get this sense that I need God in my life. And yet the Christmas story, the, the, the mission of God at Christmas, do, doesn't allow us to think about it in that way. This is what God is doing clearly, and He's using people in it. If you're trying to understand God in life by making God fit into your story, then you are wrong, and you are probably frustrated at times with God and with Christianity. Instead, we ought, to, we ought to see this as, wow, this is what God is doing. We ought to see that the world is God's and everything is God's. And we ought to see how we fit into God's story. And while this may be a problem at Christmas time, this is basically just a, a bigger problem with us and with society and with the world. We, we are so controlled and captivated by thinking that life's all about us. We're so absorbed with that. Even, even you all who think that you're doing well by trying to go to church and, and, and to think about God for a little bit, it still is that you're in control and you're trying to invite God into it. This is just the way things go, and that's not what it is. That's why we don't surrender to God everything. We have to see that God's the main thing and that we are trying to fit into God's plan by His love and His mercy and that His mission is to send His Son to save us. And when you finally uh, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and, 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 and cry out to Him and say, God, would you have mercy on me? Would you forgive me of my sins? God, would you help me? When you, when you look at your life and see, I need God in my life. I need to surrender to God. And when you see it like that, then, then all things will start to change. Perspective will change. Eyes will open. Understanding will come. In recent weeks, we've had quite a few people in our church coming to faith in Christ. People who have not been saved, but, but now are. 
It's been so encouraging for us to talk to them and, and interact with them and to see this process happening. Hearing people say things like, you know, I, I used to do this and do that. I used to do so much of this sinful stuff in my life. And now, all of a sudden, just like that, I don't like it. I don't want to be around it. It kind of bothers me. It upsets me. I don't have a taste for it anymore. All of that. That's what happens when you come to realize that life is about God. And as long as you're still trying to say, well, this is my life and this is how I am and I can't do anything about it and give all these excuses and still try to bring God into it, that's frustrating. God's not a piece of our lives that we try to fit Him into. God is God. He's our maker. There's a new song out that the kids love. I guess it's been out for a while because the one video I found on YouTube had 150 million views. It's called The Whip and the Nay-Nay. I had never heard this song, but my two-year-old knows it really well. And she tries to do it and dance and do all that. And so we looked it up on YouTube so I could learn a little bit about it. And You know, it's really easy to write songs these days. There's like no lyrics at all. Whip and nay-nay, stanky leg, break your legs. And then you know what it says for the rest of the song? No wonder we're so self-absorbed. Watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. The whole song. 150 million views on just that one video. And there's like a whole line of another 100 million of them. Kids sit at home all the time. Many of your houses and many of your phones have had that song on it. And it's just, watch me, watch me. Carolina walks around, watch me, watch me. Noah walks around, watch me, watch me, watch me. And it's not two times. It's like in that song a hundred times. It's that, okay, I got writing this song. Got, got whipping nae nae. I got a stanky leg. I got a break your legs. And all they're doing is this. <laughs> it's like, what in the world? And then it's like, out of lyrics, for the rest of the three minutes of the song, watch me, watch me, we'll see what else you've done. Watch me, watch me, this will work, just watch me. Just, just watch me, just stare at me, think about me, whatever you're doing, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. And somehow, I assure you that Val and I didn't introduce our two-year-old to it, somehow she's caught, caught it. Watch me, watch me, watch me. Now, I didn't see anything in that song that seemed bad. People like to dance and have fun with it. So I'm not saying don't, don't do the whipping nay nay. But what I am wanting you to see is don't embrace life being watch me, watch me, watch me. That's not Christianity. Christianity is at all costs, look to God. No matter what. We've got a new members class going on right now in our church. I just taught it just an hour ago. And I told them that if you ever start thinking of yourself more than God, you're in the wrong. And that's even if you're doing good things. That's even if you're getting a lot of attention. That means if you become famous or your business grows so that you become really wealthy or anything like that, if you start to think about yourself over God or more than God, you're wrong. Do you remember John the Baptist? 
How he came onto the scene, predicted in Isaiah that he would come. He'd be the forerunner. He would lead the way for Jesus. And right before Jesus gets here, John the Baptist would get here. And he would be the one saying, prepare the way that the Savior is coming. You remember that? You remember John the Baptist being the one that Jesus says he's the greatest person born among women? There's never been anybody greater than John the Baptist born. Do you remember that the Bible says that he had the Holy Spirit from the womb? You don't get the Holy Spirit until you're saved. John the Baptist had, came out saved. He had the Holy Spirit in him from birth. And John the Baptist is the one who was preaching when Jesus walked up. And I can see almost tears in his eyes when he said, Look guys, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they said, Who are you? Are you the Savior? And John the Baptist said, Nah, I'm not the Savior. John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to have him untie my shoes. I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. John the Baptist is called by Jesus the greatest man ever born. His words are, I'm not even worthy. You know who thinks that way? People who understand God. And people who understand God's mission. And people who understand Christmas as God coming to rescue me. We don't make excuses about how watch me driven we are when we come to see God. When we come to understand God, we will hate the notion of watch me, watch me, watch me. And we will not say that God is a big part of my life, which you hear people say sometimes. We will say that I have no understanding of life apart from God. It was just a few weeks ago when I preached to you all from Psalm 73. I've had several of you all say that Psalm 73 is one of your favorites now. Listen to how the psalmist said it. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Asaph in Psalm 73 cannot think about any aspect of his life apart from God and God's great worth and God's glory. And Christmas gets us thinking like that. Christmas is God's mission being performed. We see all of these key pieces. I want to show it to you another way though. Look at chapter 1 verse 20. It says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So Joseph didn't even exactly know what was going on, but the angel of the Lord came and told him. All right, jump over now to chapter 2, verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, so there he's warned again by another angel in a dream. Look over to chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and tells him to do something else. That's the third time. Look at, look at verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, telling him what to do. Look over to verse 22. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Does everybody see that? It is God's plan for Jesus to be born to Joseph and Mary and for Jesus to go and be in all these places and fulfill all these prophecies and then ultimately grow up and be the Savior of the world and die on the cross from that. But do you see how so much of it is Joseph doesn't know what he's doing. Five times right there in a span of like 20 verses, it says Joseph was told to do this, Joseph go there, okay, Joseph do this. If one would have asked Joseph, man, why do you keep going to all these places? His answer would have been, God is doing this in us. And I'm wanting you to see that that is life. It's one of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 15.10, where Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's not that I'm great, Paul says. It's not that I'm smart. It's that I am what I am by God's grace. He says, nevertheless... I worked harder than everybody. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. What a verse. Paul saw himself as a hard worker, but he thought, I can't do any work apart from God's grace. Paul saw himself as fully committed to the work of God and to the mission. He's writing to the Corinthian church. Yet he understands that as, this is what God has me doing. Paul understands that he is a huge figure. Paul got in an argument with Peter, the Apostle Peter, and told him that he disagreed with him. And they split ways, but then they made up. Paul knew that he was one of the leaders in this thing. Paul knew that he was the one called by God to take the mission, the missional message across the world to the Gentiles. Paul understood that about himself. Yet, he would say, it's not me. It's simply by the grace of God. Paul saw his life as simply being a life for God. And Christmas gets us thinking that way. As we think about God's Christmas mission being performed. It was predicted. It was performed. And lastly, it is perfected. Mission perfected. Mission accomplished. Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. See, he was wanting to end this relationship already. And the angel comes and says, no, don't. Don't, don't you stop from making her your wife. That's good. It's from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their Sins. He will save his people from their sins. This baby will be the Redeemer. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had sp spoken by the prophet. Do you see that? All of this that's happening, that's being performed, is what God had predicted. Quotes Isaiah, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. What a message it is in and of itself on the obedience of Joseph at Christmas. He took his wife, verse 25, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called 
his name, Jesus. His name is Jesus because he is the Savior. You don't see it here in Matthew 1, 18 to 25 because as Matthew's telling it, it's still just being predicted for the reader. Matthew knows it's already happened. But Matthew has no hesitation saying they called him Jesus because he saves people from their sins. Because Matthew knows he's been saved from his sins. Because by the time you get to chapter 26, Jesus is arrested. Jesus is beaten. Jesus is taken spit in the face, mocked, all of that. Then, in what has been called the worst sin in the history of the world, Jesus is nailed to a cross. This baby that you and I love, We just let a little elementary school girl walk across the stage with a pillow in her shirt making it look like she's pregnant. And then she sits down and she reaches under the chair and she picks up a baby that makes it look like she's given birth and now she's holding a baby. This is such a big deal to us that we just did that. If it's not true, we're loony. If it's not true, then we're going to mess that little girl up, aren't we? But it is true. And that baby has a name. And his name is Fitting because he is the Savior. Matthew tells us that Jesus would die on the cross. And Jesus said several things while he was on the cross. But the last that he said is, It is finished. In John chapter 10, Jesus tells them, that the Father is pleased with me because I lay down my life. They're wanting to kill Jesus. And Jesus says, no, the Father is pleased with me because I lay down my life. Listen, no one takes my life from me. I lay my life down. Jesus says, I have the authority to lay my life down and I have the authority to take my life up. I do what I want when it comes to me, Jesus says. And he tells that to his enemies. And so on the cross, Moments after crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He also cries out, it is finished. Because Jesus knew there was a purpose behind this. There are people all over the world and people in Louisville, Kentucky, who know their sins. And you've come here today knowing you don't need me to try to convince you that you're a sinner. We all know that we sin. And I want you to hear today at Christmas that God's Christmas story is a mission for God to get you back, to save you, to change your heart and forgive you. Mission predicted, mission performed, mission accomplished in Jesus. At our house, we read the Jesus Storybook Bible a lot. This is it right here. This is like the big version of it. 
Here's the picture, can y'all see it? Of when Jesus came. I just want you to hear the first page. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to His people just as He had promised in the beginning. But how would He come? What would He be like and what would He do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, He came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness, He came. In a manger. Because there was no room in the inn. Why? To save His people from their sins. And He will do it. And for many of us here today, we say, He has done it. I ask you today to believe in Christ. Let it be the Christmas of 2015 be the year that you get right with God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for God's Christmas mission. And thank you, God, that we can know it and experience it in such a real way as a Savior of our sins. Father, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.